Well, hello. Welcome to another edition of gotcha. Something to Talk About. Ca caught, me, caught me looking yeah. off, off camera. Yes, you did. <laughs> but but that, that kind of happens often, well, doesn't it? you were posting, right? I, I, I was posting because I want to yeah, share. I know you do. I want to share what should. we have to say. And it's very important with, today. With, with everybody because Absolutely. we've got a, a great show today. Uh, a little bit of a background. Lauren and I were in business together for 40 years and for probably a good 15 to 20 of those years. We were very, very heavily involved in cancer awareness. Uh, and we always designated in our, in our stores uh, October as Cancer Awareness Month. And it's something that now, even after retirement, we, we still look very, very proudly upon. And that is to spend every October working with nonprofit organizations that are working in the, in the realm of cancer research. And also right. we dedicated this show today to cancer awareness and we are beyond pleased <laughs> to have a very, very special guest with us to share this show. And Jill Batch is with us uh, Hi. and welcome Jill. Hi, it's Stuart and Lauren. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, we're thrilled you could be here. Jill, Jill is living our dream. She and her <laughs> husband are in a motor home and they are traveling around the country. And also, I'm I'm absolutely thrilled that you would take the time to to spend some of that time with us to discuss this very very important subject. Well, yeah, it's 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 a really important subject. I know it's touched y'all personally. I know it's touched me personally, and um, unfortunately, cancer seems to touch a lot of Americans. And I think it's a, a problem that we definitely need to address at a national level, but. It, it is more so. Uh, I often, in, in when I speak to groups, I often say going back, you know, 40 years, uh, maybe you knew a neighbor's sister's friend who had cancer. Uh, then, you know, 30 years later, maybe you knew a neighbor that had cancer. Uh, but over the last decade or two, it's the question to ask basically is, is there anybody in this room whose family has not been affected or touched by cancer? And, and it's, that's an unfortunate statistic that we don't like to hear. Uh, and in many cancers, we have made inroads in others. Um, it's been, it's been a struggle. And, uh, we know that you are not only very, very involved with uh, ovarian cancer, but as a survivor of ovarian cancer and a co-founder of Be the Difference Foundation, which is the, the name right underneath uh, Jill's name. Uh, it is an organization based here in, in Dallas, Texas. I urge each one of you that are watching this show not only to go to BeTheDifference.org to find out the work that they're doing, but also share that website with your friends and your family uh, especially the female members of your family, because we all know that that ovarian cancer has really become been known as the silent killer because it's so so rare for it to be diagnosed in stage one or even two. It's usually the advanced stages. And and Jill, you can address that aspect as a as a survivor yourself. Uh, please share your story and, and, and those uh, with your, your founding members. 
Well, I, I mean, I, I'm lucky. Be the Difference Foundation was founded by four ovarian cancer survivors. And thankfully, three of us are still alive. But unfortunately, we did lose one of our co-founders to the disease and um, six years ago already. And it's, um, it's just devastating. Um, I was diagnosed in 2007. I was just minding, you know, going through life thinking I was tired because I was busy. I was raising, you know, two teenage children. I was working full time. I was just running around. And I really just thought I had a cough. I thought I was going through. It was in March. I thought the seasons change. I'm having allergies attack me. And I ignored my cough for about six weeks until the point got to the point where all of my relatives were like go to the doctor already. And I went to the doctor thinking they were going to give me an antibiotic. I was going to, you know, be out the door in 10 minutes. And um, luckily the doctor, you know, listened to me. He, he, he didn't hear anything in my chest, but he said, if you've been coughing this long, we need to do an x-ray, did an x-ray. Um, he did it in his office at the time. And the x-ray tech, um, even said to me, he goes, when did you have surgery to remove part of your lung? And I'm like, excuse me, I didn't have any surgery to remove part of my lung. And he goes, well, part of your left lung is obscured. We can't see it on the x-ray. And I was like, well, I uh, don't know what's going on. And he immediately called the physician in there and it was back and forth. I was sitting on the table in a paper gown and they were trying to decide if my heart was enlarged and was blocking the view of my lung or what was going on. And I was getting more and more nervous. I was like, um, do you think I should just get dressed? Cause I assume you're going to want to run some more tests. And you know, at that point they turned around and realized I was sitting there. Um, and um, so that was on a uh, Tuesday by Thursday, they had me at a uh, radiologist uh, ra you know, imaging center doing a CAT scan. Um, the, the, x-ray tech came in and tells me, asked me, the radiologist technician called, asked me, he, she goes, how long have you been a smoker? And I'm like, I'm not a smoker, never smoked. And um, the radiologist actually came into the room after they were done doing the imaging and says, there's some nodules there. We're going to need to have a doctor take a look at them. And by the next morning, I was at a pulmonologist office and he was scheduling me for a needle biopsy that afternoon. And so I went from thinking I had bronchitis to finding out that I had advanced stage of a cancer. You know, at that time point, we didn't know if it was lung cancer or what, but, but by Monday, they knew that I had a form of a gynecological primary cancer and that it had metastasized to my lungs. And, you know, which is in that case, stage four. So, um, it was a, a, it was devastating. I, I, I think, thankfully I was so in shock. I don't think I heard the doctors, what they said in terms of the prognosis. My husband remembers the prognosis. He remembers them saying they'll get me into remission. They don't know how long they'll keep me in remission, but you know, I was just shell shocked. I just, you know, listened and, um, you know, decided that I was going to fight, going to do everything we needed to do. And, um, you know, within that next week, I actually had a PET scan to, to figure out where all the cancer was. And it was throughout my abdomen. It was through, you know, in um, on my spleen, on my liver, and it was in my lymph nodes. And um, 
And at that point, I had a total collapse of my left lung. I had to go and have fluid drained off of it so I could even breathe. Um, I started chemotherapy rather quickly. I did three rounds of chemotherapy. And then the doctor was going to think about stopping for the surgery. Typically, women with ovarian cancer, they do a debulking surgery first. They take out as much as they can before you start chemotherapy. But in my case, I wasn't really a candidate for the debulking surgery because of the involvement of my lung. So the um, scans and things after three rounds of chemo came back so positive that the doctor asked me, he goes, why don't we go for three more rounds before we do the surgery? And I'm like, sure, I'll let up, whatever we'll do. I went through three more rounds of chemotherapy. And then um, afterwards, they did another PET scan. It showed that all the spots that looked like cancer were gone, except for the lining of the lung had a couple of spots that they thought were scar tissue. And, you know, I was very young at the time. I was 44 years old. And, I, you know, I, says, I said, was that something someone can get to with a surgery and remove? And he goes, yes, but I don't know if you really need to worry about it. It's probably scar tissue. And I thought, well, you know, if there's a cell or two in there, I need to worry about it. I need to be proactive. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I'd like to, to meet with a, a surgeon. So I met with a thoracic surgeon and we, you know, we decided, my husband and I decided that I would have the surgery, um, you know, a thoracoscopy where they took out those masses. Mm -hmm. And thankfully they were all uh, dead tissue, necrotic, you know, cancer cells, but, or not even cancer cells at that point, just dead, dead scar tissue. But, um, you know, I just wanted it out. And then three weeks after that, I went and had a, you know, the, the full hysterectomy and, um, and they did 15 biopsy sites at that point and everything came back negative. And I tell you, I don't, you know, I, I consider myself so lucky and so fortunate and, because I knew the probability, if I looked back on it now, the probability of someone surviving my stage of cancer is 15% for five years. And I'm a long-term survivor at this point. So I always felt that there was a reason for me to still be here. There was a reason for me to be sick. And I harnessed that reason and kind of turned it into a passion to help other women. And you know, I, I, I think you just have to look at blessings that you have as you go through things like this. Well, and, and, and coming out, one of those reasons was that what it was about five years after your diagnosis uh, that you and Lynn Lechner and, uh, and Julie Schrell and Helen Gardner got together in, in 2012 and, and founded the Be the Difference Foundation. Absolutely. And Julie and Lynn and I, we, we both we all feel that this was our calling, that this was something that was, you know, this was the good that came out of what we went through and, or the blessing if, that came out of what we went through. You know, sometimes something's happening to you and you feel like it's the worst thing in the world. And you're all but, alone. And you're all alone. But there's yeah. some blessings that come from it. I mean, I have met two wonderful friends, you know, Julie and Lynn. They're wonderful women. I'm so fortunate to have them in my life. Um Helen was a fighter to the very end. She, you know, when, when we founded the foundation, she was still not in remission and she knew that she probably would not live long-term. And, but she wanted, she wanted to fight and she wanted to make a difference in the women 
that, you know, came after her. And, you know, she was a special, special lady. How did the four of you meet? That's what I want to know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I've been. It was, well, it was kind of a, um, quite frankly, it was kind of a um, <laughs> meeting of the stars. It was like one of those things. At the time, um, Helen was going through treatment in Florida and she had a friend, Cheryl Yannick, who I know y'all have met. Cheryl's a great um, long-term Be the Difference Foundation board member. She hosted the Wheel to Survive event. Wonderful lady. She went, she, she happened to go to the JCC, the Jewish Community Center in Dallas, and say, we need to do a fundraising event for ovarian cancer. How would, how it would be really great if we did an indoor bikes ride. I actually read an article about a similar fundraiser in Atlanta, Georgia, and also approached the JCC within two weeks of Helen approaching the JCC. We didn't know each other. We just both reached out at the JCC at the same time. And John Mize, who now works for the foundation, was the athletic director at the time. And he also reached out to Julie Schrell because she was going through ovarian cancer and he knew Julie. So he put the three of us together. He met with us and he kind of, and John will admit this, he really felt like he was kind of placating us by saying, okay, we'll do a fundraiser for y'all. You know, maybe we'll get 50 bikes out there. Maybe they'll raise $50,000 or 25. No, he, he said 25 bikes because I think that's what the J had at the time. Maybe we'll raise $50,000 and it'll be a great one-time event. And unbeknownst to him, Helen was the financial person. She was the killer organizer. I was the technology nerd that did the website and did all the social media and all of that. Julie was the bubbly personality that pulled She's in everyone. Piece. Yeah. So between the three of us, we were like one perfect team. And that first event, I believe we had over 300 riders and we raised close to $350,000 that event. And it was phenomenal. And at the time we were with another organization and they wouldn't commit that we could allocate the money where we wanted it to go for future events. They did it for that one event, 50% of the money, but they said going forward, we would have to allocate it somewhere differently. And we said, we really, we want, you know, as survivors, we wanted it allocated to helping survivors and raising awareness, not just raising awareness. Because unfortunately, the statistics are so poor for survivors that a lot of these organizations tend to write the survivors off. And we were not about writing them off. We were about giving them hope and giving them optimism so that they could fight. So therefore, then in 2012, we started Be The Difference Foundation. And Lynn Lyncher was a really integral part of that first event. She, she was an attendee at the first event. Um, we pulled her in as a fourth co-founder. And since then, um, you know, it, we've, we've grown, we've grown into doing uh, wheel to survive events um, in various places in the country. We have um, this fall we're doing lat well, last fall was the first one we did runway for hope, which was a fashion show benefiting Mary Crowley cancer research to help fund clinical trials in the Dallas area. This year, the fact that we've got COVID and not wanting to do a public event, we're doing a, an interesting twist on that. We're actually um, doing a virtual fashion show, but instead of it being just 
you know, women walking around showing outfits, we chose to pay, pair four fashion influencers, you know, women who are strong in the Instagram world, who set fashion trends, who know fashion trends with four ovarian cancer survivors. And we're doing a reality take on it where they're actually, they've met through the survivors through Zoom, they've styled them. They we're going to do the big, we were doing the big reveals at the end where the survivors are doing it. One survivor is going through treatment. So she did her big reveal through a Zoom party online. Another is actually doing it today at Mary Crowley because she's going through clinical trials. And we're bundling that into kind of a TV show that we're going to air on November 18th, Runway for Hope. And it's going to be nationwide. And we're really getting a lot of interest for that. And so that's another well, thing. We have our tickets. We're I ready to go. We are there. We, I'm so excited about this. It's, it's fresh. It's new. It's a different approach. Yeah. Um, I know, think it's going to be great. And, and, and to think that eight years ago, you said, listen, if we can have an event and raise $50,000, we'd be, we'd be thrilled. And in oh, eight yeah. years, <laughs> in eight years, be the difference foundation has raised about how much? Well, we've raised over $3 million. $3 million in eight Amazing. years. And, and um, yeah, it's, 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 it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of heart put into it. Let's put it that way. A lot of passion, a lot of heart. And the other thing we're excited about with this Runway for Hope is a lot of these influencers have their own followers and they may be younger women than we traditionally mm -hmm. target. But one of the great things about this fashion show is that we're going to be able to share the signs and symptoms of ovarian cancer with these women. So not only are we, to me, you know, raising the money for clinical trials is one thing. But if we could touch one person out there that starts to think about a sign or symptom of ovarian cancer and say, you know, I have that. I ignore it. Let me go to the doctor. That to me is saving a life. And that's so much more important. Yeah, Jill, because your your symptoms were very different uh, right. from the usual symptoms that we hear about, we read about, the doctors tell us about. Well, and, you know, yeah, exactly, Lauren. And, and, and I think we have to get the word out. It's not necessarily gastroenterology symptoms, stomach aches, uh, reflux. Uh, it can be a cough. Well, and it can be just being exhausted. I mean, yeah. and, and exhaustion is one of the symptoms. I didn't think about the exhaustion, you know. But exhaustion can be anything. It can be the flu. It can be right. anything. And that's the other thing. It mirrors so many other problems, so many other diseases. Well, and, and very often, this is this is in patients who are very physically fit. And, yes. and as you said, that sometimes you think, well, oh, maybe maybe I'm just a little exhausted because I've been working out so hard at, at the gym, you know, or it spinning doesn't matter. My sister was one of those health nuts. Oh, yes. Yeah, on was. her bike, walking, running every day, ate counted well. her, counted her calories, watched what she ate. It can happen. But as I like to say, she came by it legally, unfortunately, because she was a Brocker, uh a carrier. Yeah. The, the, and that's the other part of it that still in this day and age, I don't think enough women know about it or realize that. And I think we should, we should devote a little bit of time now to, to, to letting our audience know because it is a nationwide right. audience and it is mothers and it's, and it's, it's parents and all that there are tests 
that that you can take, especially in families that are pro, uh, you know, uh, uh, having these genes and all, that share with them a little bit about what young people, especially young girls, can do in order to see if there is that chance that they have of the mutation. I, you know, I, and, and Stuart and Lauren, I'm actually also BRCA positive. Oh, you are? Uh, and I had no family history of that. Now, the one thing I did have was I was Ashkenazic Jewish descent. And so that ties into it. But, you know, from a, from a BRCA perspective, you know, a lot of people, the lot, they'll think, oh, my mother didn't have breast cancer. None of my aunts had ovarian cancer. I'm good. Well, in my case, it came from my father. Me too. We and think. Came, yep. Yeah. And it came from his father, which is really interesting. So you can't just look down the female side of your family tree and think you're okay. That's the first thing. You need to look at your male side, the male side of the family tree. Um, for Ashkenazic Jewish women, one in 40 are, you know, carry the BRCA gene, which is a very high number. Um, the, you know, at this point, you can go through genetic testing to see if you're carrying the BRCA1, BRCA2C2 gene. Um, Myriad or the doctor's office can do that. I actually did my DNA recently through, you know, 23andMe, and they actually even come back with BRCA results now. So it's kind oh, of interesting. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it, it, it was very interesting, but you just need to, especially if you're of a background, an ethnicity that has the BRCA gene, you should be diligent. Otherwise, you really should look at both lines of your family history. Now, go ahead. Now, I was just going to say, you bring up a good point because you said uh, uh, that uh, that the Jewish population very often is is a little bit more pro uh, to having this positive gene. But when you go through these DNA tests, it's very often that people find that there was some Jewish influence in in their background, in their right. history, and all, and it and it could go back three generations where there, there was, was that involvement. So that can carry forward in the genetic uh, uh, line. Absolutely. Now, with the BRCA mutation, it's interesting because, um, Lauren, it was your sister, correct, that passed away? Um, and, you know, in my case, um, the BRCA mutation, the, the BRCA mutation that I have, there's actually three versions of the BRCA mutation. Um, I had one that made me um, that platinum, which was one, uh, one of the chemotherapies I used was very, very, um, my cancer was very, um, what's it called? Susceptible to the platinum chemotherapy. It really knocked it out. So I really was able to fight the ovarian cancer very well. Interestingly enough though, people who are BRCA positive also have a high probability of breast cancer. So even though I had ovarian cancer, I actually had a higher probability of, of getting breast cancer in my lifetime than ovarian cancer. That's so once I fought the, you know, once I fought the ovarian cancer side, I went ahead and did prophylactic surgery so that I would not have breast cancer. But, you know, so, you know, there's Lynch syndrome. That's another one that has genetic, high genetic uh, probability for colon cancer, for breast cancer, for um, ovarian cancer. 
and they're just finding more and more all the time. And well, I think, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, Jill. No, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I just wanted to set the record straight that, um, you, yes, there's a high probability that, uh, it affects Ashkenazi Jewish women. However, there are many, many women that have it that are not Jewish, that Absolutely. have no, no Jewish influence, no Jewish gene in their family. Um, you can be black, you can be uh, Latino, you can, it, it, it happens, Asian, anything. And right. exactly. that's what my sister found out when she was, when she was involved uh, uh, with uh, a group of uh, ovarian cancer patients that she was really one of the few Jewish women right. in the group that had it. And um, very true. Yeah. Yeah. But she had the basic, the basic symptoms, the stomach aches, the acid reflux, the tiredness, the, the ones that are, that you read, you know, in all the pamphlets. Um, but you didn't, but it, well, unfortunately those women sometimes get misdiagnosed too. She did. You're right. A lot of times. And a lot of times that it'll take women, you know, I believe between six and nine months to get diagnosed because That's exactly right. Unfortunately, some doctors will dismiss women as, you know, oh, you're just, you know, complain. I don't want to say complaining, but you're it's fibromyalgia or it's mm -hmm. this or it's that. And they don't really, you have to advocate. You have to keep pushing. And mm -hmm. yes, you're right. You have to keep pushing for yourself and advocate for yourself because. Well, going uh, back, going back a decade or so, the, the, uh, the testing for the BRCA uh, gene was very, quite was, costly and yes. it's become, it's become more uh, uh, realistic, more affordable. Yes. And it's exactly. something that every woman should discuss with her OBGYN and, and, and say, you know, I don't know if there's any history in my family, but uh, I'm 30 years old and uh, I just haven't been feeling up to stuff. Maybe we should do this test. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Be because this is a cancer that is normally found in stage three or four. Exactly. Yeah, when, when, I, it, when it's almost too late. What I have a hard time with, and I just can't figure it out. Maybe you know the answer, Jill. Why will they will the government not pay for a pelvic ultrasound for women like they pay for a pap test. Cause every year I get my pelvic ultrasound just to play it safe. And every year I'm paying $300 out of my own pocket. When I had a sister that had ovarian cancer, I mean, to me, it makes no sense. The doctors can't understand it. No, it doesn't. For them. And uh, I, I, it aggravates me. It's very well. well and this yeah. is one of the things that this foundation is trying to to turn around, uh, and all through their association with Crowley uh, Cancer Institute too, is is to make sure that these wrongs are righted. Well, uh, because if you get ahead of most forms of cancer, you have a much greater percentage of cure and it. and you know uh, putting yeah. it into remission. Yeah. Yeah. It, and, it, and that's just true. common sense. Yeah. Well, well, no, I mean, that that's the, uh, someone needs to really do some more. You know, there, I, I agree with you, Lauren. We, we need to have, you know, these are the things that you do to, to, to 
look at women. You can't do it. The CA-125 test is not accurate, unfortunately. Correct. But, but they have a test for men for prostate cancer. Right. You know, they do. They, they do. And and when it comes to the women, the women are kind of kind of left by the wayside. And uh, or you leave it up to the doctor, but you have to be you have to a keep pushing for yourself. Patient. Absolutely. You have to be a proactive patient. And the other thing I did want to point out, because I think you alluded to it, but a pap smear does not detect ovarian cancer. So a lot of women think, oh, I'm safe from ovarian cancer. I have my pap smear every year. It's not for ovarian cancer. No, no, you're right. Absolutely. Well, you, I, I, I have a question for you. Um, you and Alan have been married for was about 35 years now. Yes. Now you are diagnosed. What, what effect does that have on your husband and 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 what do you see in your travels as when a wife is is diagnosed with a cancer very often very often the spouse just says i can't deal with it i'm gone and all how important is it for the men in these women's lives to be an active part of the diagnosis and the treatment well i i think you have to have somebody there for your emotional stability while you're going through cancer treatment, whether it's a spouse, a sister, a child. I mean, you have to have someone to lean on and you have to take, my feeling is you have to take your, you put yourself first when you're going through treatment. It's the one time in my life I had to be selfish and I had to say, it's about me. I have to take care of me because ultimately I need to take care of you, but I have to come first. Um, I was very lucky. I have heard horror stories, Stuart, of men who can't handle their wives being sick. Um, some have left them. I mean, it's just kind of devastating. Uh, I didn't have that. I, I, you know, I, I, I was so blessed in that regard. I mean, I remember that first week when we first learned I had cancer and while before I got my lung drained, I could roll over and you could hear my, I was sloshing. Literally, you could hear water. And my husband just looked at me and he just looked like he looked devastated. He goes, I want to fix it. I want to help you. I can't. And he felt helpless because he wanted to help me, but he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. um, and I actually think it was harder as much as it, it was me fighting. He was helpless. He, you know, there was nothing he could do to make it better. And that was a hard adjustment for him. Um, you know, he got to the point where he, someone that he worked with was, um, had brought him all these Asian herbs and, you know, to, for, to make into some kind of soup for me to drink. And he took that as his mission for, you know, for a solid two years, he would make that recipe for me, even when I was in remission he would make me drink it. That was kind of his way of helping me. And um, I was just fortunate. I was just really, really fortunate to have him in my life. Well, and he, and he continues to do that too. He is, he is so supportive, you know, big, big shout out to Alan because it, at every one of the events that we've ever been uh, to, to support be the difference foundation, Alan is, is, I mean, he is, he's right there, man. Oh yeah. 
You yeah, turn right him there. loose, man, and he is out there just just making people aware and 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 supporting you, but not supporting just you, supporting everybody, everybody. like you and supporting right. the foundation. And so, you know, it's it's a guy's thing too. And it and, is. And I want men to know that too, that that it it's it's a family thing. You know, you this is something you you cannot run away from and you shouldn't run away mm -hmm. from. Uh look at the success story here, right here. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, over fabulous. Three, over three million dollars raised and everything, and I know that it wasn't Alan just saying, uh, "Okay, honey, go ahead and <laughs> do your thing with the foundation, man." He, he's out there hustling. But it's a foundation, absolutely. They've done fabulously. But look at Jill. I mean, he was there by her side all the time. That's right. And she, you need that. You need that it's support system, mission. as you say. But here you are talking about this now in front of us and going out on vacation and seeing the United States. <laughs> it's true. I mean, that's, you know, and it, it, I just, you know, I'm just so fortunate. And, you know, and, and you look at everything, you know, every day we wake up and the sun is shining, even if it's not shining, I woke up. You know? <laughs> right. You're upright. Yeah. I'm upright. I get to, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you know, you, you talk about bonus days, mm -hmm. started counting bonus days from the day that you were diagnosed and everything. How many bonus days are you up to now? You know, Stuart, I haven't counted. I should have looked today. I'm, I'm over 5,000. So 5,000 yeah. days. Wow. That's, that's Amazing. terrific. Yeah. Now, I mean, what do you do, Jill? What did you do to get yourself through it all? Did you have hobbies? Did you, I mean, I'm sure you weren't feeling well, so you were nursing yourself, but was there anything else that you were doing for yourself? I blogged. I actually, you know, this was a little bit before Caring Bridge, um, which is a wonderful website, but I found that blogging helped me. It ha allowed me to communicate with people, allowed me to tell people what was going on without having to retell the story a hundred times. And but at first I couldn't really keep a conversation because I was just, I just was out of breath and um, blogging helped me. I kept a sense of humor. Um, one of my blog posts, you know, I wanted people to realize that, yeah, I had cancer, but I was still me. I was still, I wasn't a sick per I didn't view myself as sick. I viewed myself as fighting something. And I would tell people, I'm not sick. I just have cancer, <laughs> you know, which right. is yeah. kind of funny, yeah. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just have this cancer, but um but I did a blog post when I lost my hair because, I, you know, I continued to work. Um, my husband and I owned a business together and I worked all through it except for a couple of days after the chemotherapies. And um, after I was recovering from surgery, I couldn't work. But I wanted my, you know, I wanted our employees to feel comfortable around me. I didn't want them to pit, you know, feel like sorry for me. I, um, I would. So this blog post I wrote was, I think, the 10 great things about being bald and I mean, one of them was, you know, if I found a, a hair in my soup, I knew it wasn't mine. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, you know, I could dress up as Uncle Fester for Halloween. Um, <laughs> you know, if I put a lollipop in my mouth, I could look like Telly Savalas uh, in Kojak. Um, so I tried to have a sense of humor about the whole thing, and really, I wanted people to, to think I was doing. And not think, but realize I was, mm -hmm. you know, working through it. 
we we got the kids in the car at the time that I was diagnosed. My daughters were uh, 15 and 18. My my oldest was a, a freshman in college, and she immediately wanted to fly home. She was in Boston, and I was like, no, you're not flying home. You have to finish the semester. Um, you're not going to come home. And, you know, we took a trip that summer. We got in the car and went to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we just spent time with the girls. I just wanted the girls to, you know, be around me. And, you know, at that time in life, you, a lot of times parents are finding their kids pulling away from them. One of the blessings was my kids pulled toward me because, you know, they realized how important it was for me to be here. So, you know. So the girls knew exactly what you were diagnosed with. They did. They, they did. Um, we didn't hide it. They knew. Um, my youngest daughter was very, um, the night I was diagnosed, she came and she goes, mom, are you going to die? Mm -hmm. And she just looked at me and are you going to die? And I says, you know, I don't know. I really don't know, but I know I'm going to fight it with every fiber in my body and I'm going to do the best I can do. I didn't want to lie to her, but I didn't want to, you know, and, and she had a friend over and that friend was like, your mom is one heck of a lady. She will give this a fight. So, you know, the friend comforted her. Um, my oldest daughter, what, what was interesting is she was pre-med at the time that I was diagnosed. She was a freshman pre-med and she came home for the summer, spent um, every time I had chemotherapy, she took me to it. She sat there with me. And now she is finishing up her last year in fellowship as a pediatric hematologist oncologist. And that's what she chose as her life career. She wasn't looking at hematology oncology when she was pre-med, but after I, what I went through, that became her passion. And so, you know, even from something like me being sick, she now has taken this on as a mission and she's helping kids fight cancers of all different types. Paying it, paying oh, it forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you I'm, know. and I'm so proud of, you know, I'm just really, really so proud of how, what she's become, what my other daughters become. And, you know, my other daughter at the time, you know, when, when you go through a diagnosis like this and my daughter went off to college, she went to university of Florida. She goes, I want to major in art. And my husband and I are like, Oh Lord, what is she going to do with that degree? But, <laughs> but I said, you know what? It's important for her to be happy. You know, mm -hmm. you start thinking, okay, is it worth all the stuff you do to not be happy? So she became an artist and she, she, you know, did art for a few years and she still does art on the side. But once she got a job, she decided she wanted to do work for a nonprofit. So she's now working for a nonprofit that helps adults with um, disability, you know, with um, it, it's called the community home for adults that she works for. And they're adults who are disabled, who cannot live independently, and it helps them live as independently as possible. So that became, you know, giving back was her mission as well. And so, you know, it, it's, it's, there are blessings that come out of every, everything I feel. And you were, you were the connection for them finding those avenues. Well, I think me being sick was the connection, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Now, now, do you, did I hear along the line that um, that you and Julie 
um, and Lynn go out and talk to newly diagnosed um, cancer patients, ovarian cancer patients, or do you have some sort of connection with them? Yeah, we actually did a program through UT Southwestern for a while that we were doing that. Um, the program was requiring a lot of work from the UT Southwestern side, and it, it just kind of was put on hold for a bit. But the other thing that Julie Lynn and I do is we do a program and it's through another organization. It's actually through the Ovarian Cancer National, uh, Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. They've changed their name so many times. Um, I think it's Okra, um, but they do a program called Survivors Teaching Students. And we all participate in that. And what we do is we go and talk to medical school students about our experiences. Oh. And we put a face and a story with the disease so that these students learn, you know, we talk about how we were diagnosed. We talk about how the doctors broke it to us. We let them share, you know, we share with them our frustrations of maybe how it was difficult to be diagnosed. And that program is, is an incredible program. So we participate in that as well. And that's independent of Be The Difference Foundation. That's incredibly important mm -hmm. because I don't think, I don't think that's necessarily part of their learning curve, their education. I, no, it's not. And it's, not it's so, a, how do you talk to a patient or, you know, it's, it's all about the statistics. It's all about what they have, what they're going to do for their treatments. But is it really sitting down and really talking and conversing and finding out about the patient? I, I don't think so. Well, and the key, the key point we actually like to make to them, Lauren is yeah, there's statistics if I had focused on the statistics of my survival, I would have just gone into depression and probably would not have had as good of an outcome. So we stress to them that each woman is an individual. We are each unique. We're each coming into our cancer journeys with different health, different age, different, mm -hmm. even different attitude. And those influence our survivor rates, not a number. We're not statistics, you know, and I think that's important. It's so important to any woman battling cancer of any kind to have hope. I agree. I agree. Well, you, you have two choices. You either go into depression uh, and, and, and just, just remove yourself from the world, or you get in there and you fight, you fight the battle. And, exactly. uh, and, and some, some lose the battle, but the, I think there's a greater percentage of those that fight the battle that can find a way to to survive. And as you said, you're you're how many years? Thirteen. Uh, uh, Thirteen yeah. years. That that's yeah. you know, that that's incredible. And you have such a positive attitude. As do your, your partners, Julie Schrell and and Lynn Lechner. They are just all smiles. It's oh yeah. <laughs> they, they are incredible. They have not. They will not allow their their disease to affect them in any other way than positive. Correct. Uh, and, and they, they are, they are also a couple of people they that are. Are, are just beautiful women yeah, as yourself. Yeah. And that, like I keep saying that, that to me was one of the blessings that came of this is just learning and meeting them and having them as friends. So you're not blogging as much now, I wouldn't imagine. No, because uh, really my life is kind of, I hate to say it, I'm, it's boring, which is great. I'll, I'll take boring. boring okay. <laughs> That's all right. For a change. <laughs> right. No, I don't blog as much anymore, but you know. 
What do you do for fun? What do you do, other than travel around the United States? What do you do I, when it's quiet time? I, I, well, I do spend a lot of time on Be the Difference Foundation. Um, I am co-chairing the event that's coming up in a few weeks on November 18th. So that takes some time. I, um, I'm also, I, I still dabble in website design occasionally on a freelance basis when, when asked. Um, I, I, I play bridge. I read. I love to hike. I love to, my husband and I um, actually ride a tandem bicycle. So we, <laughs> we do a lot of exercising and uh, working out on um, a Peloton bicycle so that we're in shape to ride the tandem. So I've been exercising a lot. Um, I just, I'm, you know, and I'm enjoying life. I, I, and that's you know, how it should be. Yeah, exactly. That's how it should be. Well, you got 5,000 bonus days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So might, might as well shoot for six and seven and eight and nine and more. So where are you <laughs> off to now? Well, we're in Asheville, North Carolina right now, and it's gorgeous. We came here to look, to watch the leaves change. Uh, we were fortunate to spend a week with my husband's mother in Atlanta prior to that. Um, with COVID, she really hasn't seen a family member since February. And we're really kind of, you know, we're traveling as best we can in this environment. We're in our own little bubble. We cook every meal in our RV. We, you know, we, we, you know, we just really keep to ourselves. We have our mask when we go out side and hike and you know we we wear it when we come upon other people and we're just trying to to see as much of, of the country as we can we've been to moab utah we've been to uray colorado we went to breckenridge colorado and silverthorne for a while and then after this we, we've we'll probably visit our daughter in st louis for a bit and then we're going to come back home too so uh, we've got you know, we try to do this every few months, go for a few weeks at a time. My husband still works. He gets to, he's working from the RV, which with Wi-Fi and everyone works remote. We're all remote nowadays. So right. it, right. it, it gives us the ability to kind of do just to change a pace. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you feel that, that cancer patients and cancer survivors are now maybe at a little greater risk with the COVID uh, pandemic going on? Are there special precautions that you take or that you would tell other cancer patients to take uh, while we're going through this? I think, yeah, I, I do think anyone who's had a history of, of, I think everyone should take precautions, quite frankly. I think everyone, you know, I, I'm not a doctor, so this is just my personal opinion. Right. Yeah. But why not wear a mask? I'm sorry, it is uncomfortable. It's not fun, but protect others and protect you. Wash your hands, you know, all of that. But, you know, especially, you know, women who are fighting cancer right now, one woman with the, with the fashion show was like, well, she goes, I could pop into to Nordstrom. I'm like, no, uh, no, 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 no. You, we're not, you are not popping into Nordstrom. You are staying home. Where you know the purpose of doing this fashion show remote is to make sure that you stay safe. Right. Um, you know they should be taking every precaution. The thing I do get worried about is that people ignore symptoms of cancer because they don't want to get into a doctor office and around other people. That's right. And that maybe 
signs like a cough or sign are being ignored because they just don't want to they don't want to go seek medical help now so i hope we're not going to have some people diagnosed because in later stages because of covid well, well i think before we go any further uh we need to give the specifics on the fashion show it's going to be november the 18th from right. noon to one central time central time yes it's central open time. all over <laughs> And go to be the difference.org. No, be, be the, the difference foundation.org. Excuse me, foundation. It's, it's right on, there. On the screen. And all of all of the information about the uh, the fashion show and uh the the uh, Wheel to Survive event that is right now tentatively scheduled for next uh, February, I believe. Uh and all you get all of that information. There's some additional information that they just put up on the screen that uh uh, uh Jill wanted to share with with uh, uh, those of you that are watching and listening to the show, uh, and it is also available from the be the difference foundation dot org. Uh, but it's important it's important to keep this in your in your uh, in your mind. Please go and register for the for the uh, virtual fashion show, yep. and uh, we can get as many people because now we're not You're in virtual. A, yeah, can get whoever we want. Yeah. And it's free. It's a fabulous foundation. And uh, Jill, we thank you for all the work you and the other women have done. We all have been tremendous supporters too. So I, I, I want to thank you, Lauren and Stuart. Y'all have both been incredible supporters of the foundation mm -hmm. since you learned of us. And we can't do what we do without supporters like y'all. Well, Thank you, but it's, it, it's important to us, and we hope that it'll become more important to, to many, many other people, people too, uh, and all. And 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 women, you know, please talk talk about ovarian cancer and and cancers with your doctors and everything, because that's the best way to head it off uh, before it becomes too much of a too much of a problem. Jill, the best of luck. Godspeed Thank to you, you and Alan <laughs> on the road. Enjoy your your life. Safe uh, travels. Keep up the great work in remission and all, and God, and God bless you, and, and thanks for taking the time to be with us. Well, and thank you for letting me speak about ovarian cancer and the foundation. Any, uh, anytime, dear. All we, right. Yeah. Take you, care. Be well. That'll do it for another edition of Something to Talk About, and uh, we hope you'll be with us again next week. Uh, thank you, Lauren, for, for being here it was part an of honor. the discussion. Thank you to Mark for producing the show. And again, thank you to Jill Batch for uh, being with Absolutely. us and for being the co-founder of such a wonderful organization. Take care, y'all.